Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. Uh, the If You Market podcast, hmm, that was a mouthful. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Carla Joe Helms has the day off today. And uh, today we'll be talking with Keith Perhack. Am I getting that right, Keith? Yep, that is correct. Excellent. Keith Perhack, thank you for having a name I can pronounce. That is the bane of my existence on this podcast. <laughs> Um, Keith is from uh, Segmetrics. We'll be talking about slicing and dicing your leads for greater profit. He is the host of the podcast Data Beats Opinion and founder of Segmetrics, which uh, from what I understand, Keith, you, um, you build out of your own frustrations with trying to track and measure leads. And then now you've, that's kind of, kind of what of you do, what your, what your company does. You help people understand and, and, and nurture their leads and improve conversion rates. Yeah. And that is the topic today is slicing and dicing your leads, your, um, your pipeline, identifying the best leads and how to focus on them. So, uh, thanks for joining us today, Keith. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the lead part, can you tell us kind of a little bit of that, that journey? I'm always very skeptical, (laughs) possibly excited when I hear people have some purpose to their story. You know, it's the, it's the guys who have the uh, high-end watch company because they say they were in college and their roommate, they, they couldn't find a quality watch at a low price. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's really what college roommates are worried about. And then they have the manufacturing connections in Germany, you know, right? The exactly, watch exactly. manufacturing plant. Like that's a BS story. And then you so, find out they're heir to the largest watch fortune in the world and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. They've been doing this for 20 years and their marketing agency just came up with a story to, uh, yeah, to interest so, people. Yeah. So I'm Mark Zuckerberg's long lost brother. And <laughs> <laughs> no, so, uh, I mean, this all came out of, uh, so I did digital marketing, uh, specifically conversion rate optimization. So I was running an agency that helped digital marketers improve their evergreen marketing funnel. So evergreen marketing funnels, as you know, people come in from Facebook organic or wherever they go onto a landing page, they opt in, they go through some emails, you want them to buy a product. So we were an agency that focused on that opt-in page all the way to the purchase. So customers get the traffic, we optimize that funnel of, okay, how do we turn this traffic into customers that are valuable and that keep purchasing over time? How do we increase that lifetime value of those customers? So what year are we talking? How long ago is this? This was 10 years ago now. Okay. That's going to tell a lot of people like in the last 10 years, the ability to track stuff has changed. It's just drastically. Drastically. Yeah. Yeah. So when we started, there was none. And this is the crazy thing for me. There was none of the technology that we have today as far as like web automated webinars or like proof, you know, that little thing that pops up that says so-and-so just bought like None of that existed as an off-the-shelf thing, so we had to build it all. So when you're saying it's difficult to track the leads and you're frustrated, people are thinking, what do you mean? It's not so tough. What's wrong with you? You're like, no, no, this is 10 years ago. There was nothing there. Yeah, there was nothing. And so we had this problem of, okay, how do we track people back to where they came from, what they did on the funnels, et cetera, and essentially be able to say, um, this thing that we're testing out for you. So we changed an email, and we know that changing this email uh, improved the lead value by $1. We know that people who get this email instead of the other one are worth a dollar more on average. So people who attend a live webinar versus a recorded webinar are worth $20 more on average, that kind of stuff, right? Right. And that was kind of the bread and butter of what we did, but we had to do the reporting. And the reporting was miserable because you have to export all this data into an Excel doc. You have to do a pivot table. You have to get all the data from Facebook and then all the data from Google Analytics and then all the data from, we used Infusionsoft a lot, so Infusionsoft and then all the purchase data. And then you pivot it all together and it takes about two to three hours to do the whole thing. As soon as and you mention pivot table, you lose half the audience. I know, right? So, so like, just for the listeners, don't, don't disconnect uh, now. You don't have to do this. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> but and I'm, I'm trying to explain the pain yeah. of the reporting and a lot of digital agencies even now still do this the yeah. the people doing the strategy don't do this but they have an intern or, or a data guy on the team that has to do all this and it takes yep. a long time and then you put together the pretty pdf you show it to the client and you're like people from facebook are worth five dollars on this funnel and they're like what about people age 25 to 30 from facebook and you're like give me five hours <laughs> because that's how long it takes to splice all this data together. And or so, imagine eventually you're just like, they're worth five ninety five. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. Were, <laughs> I can give you those numbers, but that's worth $10. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it, it, the reporting is always the part that the digital agencies hate. It's the part that we hated. It takes the most time. You have to do it though, because it's what proves to the client that you're not full of crap. Right? It helps. I mean, you need the data to make decisions. Exactly. And they want to know what their real target audience is and to help refine down to it. But if you don't have the information, it's, and you're saying it's just really difficult to compile that together 10 years ago. And even now, I think, I yeah. think, even, and we can get into that a little bit when we're talking about that slicing and dicing, but essentially even now it's with all the tracking that we have, it's still really tough to do accurately. And so we built Segmetric six years ago, originally internally. And mm -hmm. we were like, we need to have this reporting. Now we have this reporting for our clients. And then we started talking to other people and they went, man, we really need that too. So we started releasing it getting it out there and it's just started growing and exploding since then. So that's, awesome. kind, of, that's okay. kind of the journey. That sounds like a legit story. I'll let you go. On <laughs> also heir to the, to the watch for, yeah. uh, watch fortune. I've always has I always have my radar up for the uh, the made up stories. Uh, I wrote a blog post on it recently. People are constantly being told now that you have to have this great higher purpose if if your company you know helps people um, slice and dice their leads and get better ROI. If you don't have some charity that's your real love you know purpose of of existing, then uh, then your company is no good. I say no. You, your company doesn't need puppies to be taken care of. They need to know the value of their leads and their product. And then that's something you can do on, on the side. Stop right. having all these other reasons you exist. Yeah. And this is, I mean, it's, I'm trying to remember the word, but like um, success filters, I can't remember the word, but uh, survivor bias. That's what it is. It's survivor bias. And you're looking at a lot of places that were successful for various reasons that then are like, we need to have a higher purpose. And that's, oh, yeah. I think, I think that's commendable. I think having a higher purpose is commendable, but it's very hard to start with a higher purpose at the beginning. You usually start with, like you're saying, a product solving a need fitting yeah. a niche and then you get the higher purpose when you're when you're solid right billionaires when the start with a higher purpose because they say what am i going to do now that i made all mm -hmm. this money because i had the purpose of making money initially and then in order to do that i needed to solve a problem right and then once you make it all now you can start your charity from scratch if you're making 5k mrr you're not going to be able to yeah. do a charity and you can say you are you. if somebody tells you this will increase your profits because some people will believe it and they will like you more and buy your products more because of it. <laughs> That's kind of what the, the this new wave is, mm -hmm. is try to trick people into thinking you care about what they care about. So they, anyway, distraction from the topic today. Sorry about that. Okay, great origin story from you guys. So that brings us down to what you do and what the topic of the episode is today, which is slicing and dicing the leads for greater profit. Let's go ahead and, and jump jump right in that. Can jump right you into give that. the listeners kind of an overview of, of what you mean by that? Yeah. So the idea is that all of your leads, of course, are not created equal. People from Facebook are probably worth more than um, people from social who are worth more than people from organic, right? So that's a top level lead source value, right? Now, when you say worth more, do you mean they they're cost more, you more to get or they're going to bring more revenue? They're in? going to bring more revenue in. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of factors there because paid ads, they require money to bring in. So you have to be making a return on ad spend, but organic does not necessarily require you. You have to make the content up front, but it's free leads if you can get them to convert. Right. So even at that very simple, like, where do my leads come from? You have different segments. You have your paid ads, you have your paid ads from Facebook, paid ads from Twitter, you have social, you have, um, organic and then within that, you have different types of people. So you have your cohorts within each of those. So it gets really complicated really quick because you have this huge group of people and then you have different cohorts within them and then they act in different ways. So let's say Facebook is really, uh, really interested in your live webinars, but organic traffic's really interested in your automated webinars. So if you put your automated webinars on Facebook, you don't make any money. But if right. you do your live ones, you do make money. So it's figuring out what are the combinations of all these touch points. So 
I, I think I dived in a little bit too much. So let's let's go back one uh, more. An step. overview is okay though. Yeah, the yeah. general idea for people, and then we can get back into the nitty gritty. I think the the general overview is that if you look at your marketing funnel, like a funnel, or as a flow chart, or as just a line, you have different touch points. You have different things that people are going to do on your marketing funnel, and what you want to know is a do those touch points make you more or less money than the average? And then what are the segments that make you more or less money for each of those touch points? So we were talking about, let's say a webinar. A webinar on average makes you $20 more per lead than not having a webinar. That's great, we should do the webinar. But which of those cohorts, which of those segments perform well? So do people from Facebook, are they worth $5? Or thirty dollars. So is that, that saying 20. where are you going to promote the webinar? Kind exactly, of exactly. Exactly. Okay. The the problem that I always see with marketing is that we all look at KPIs, right? And KPIs are really important, but we generally look at KPIs at the high level. So we'll say this funnel has a five percent conversion rate. That's good. Okay, five percent conversion rate to sale. Did that give us anything to do? No, it just gave us a number that says. This is what we're at. If it drops, we know we're doing something wrong. If it goes up, we know we're doing right. something right. But it hasn't given us information on what we need to do. And that's so really for the, the executives, problem. that might be a number they want to see. But when the individual marketer wants to improve that ROI and that funnel, rather than just getting better at the messaging or better at the whatever it is, um, you've got to look back at what areas can you improve efficiency? What's right. your 80-20 kind of, what people can you focus more on in order to improve that overall KPI by um, investing more in the profitable people and less in the unprofitable kind of. Exactly, exactly. And the way you do that is by looking at any specific touch point and saying, does this increase or decrease my overall value of the funnel. And once I'm gonna, you, uh, I'm gonna yeah. lose a lot of the audience here. It's making me think of the uh, 1990s Batman movie um, with um, who did we have in that in that movie for 90s? Batman the Joker? Yeah, it was like one of oh, the Joker was Nicholson. Yeah, Jack Nicholson as the Joker, and um, they had the product X, where when you mix multiple products together, it was then deadly. It mm -hmm. seems when you're talking about the KPI, that was a really long ways to go to. Uh, <laughs> we'll edit that out. Um, when we uh, when you mix multiple kind of touch points together, it seems like you're talking about. So you're saying, okay, this segment in this particular area is profitable versus this. So you're not saying let's throw webinars out because they don't perform as high as another one, or let's only market within Facebook. You're saying, hey, maybe this demographic we promote the webinar on Facebook and this demographic, we promote right. the webinar um, over here. So you're, you're kind of looking at combinations of metrics. Exactly. Exactly. You're looking at, you know, the marketing term is cohorts, right? You're looking at cohorts, specific definitions of people and how do they perform in your marketing funnel compared to other cohorts. Mm -hmm. And I always mention the Facebook versus organic because that's a common one that everyone's dealing with but it could be anything. You could be something like people are opting in because they're freelancers or within freelancers, you have copywriters or developers or designers, right? So that could be a cohort in it itself. And we're so kind of, you know. If an area is underperforming, you may not throw out that whole area. You need to look at segments of it, see if there's segments that are performing and only throw out the parts that are underperforming. Right. Here, here's the easiest way um, that I think we can really look at. So let's say we have 50% conversion rate on a funnel. That's mm -hmm. great. It, that's a great number. We say everything's wonderful. But then when we dive in, we see Facebook leads are converting at 100%. Google leads are converting at 0%. So now we have something we should do. Right. That's right? a pretty, that's a super obvious example. You know, it's very obvious. But all in on Facebook, throw out Google. Or how can we get Google to start converting? Maybe they're looking for something right. else, right? And that's the decision we have to make, which is, do we throw out an audience or do we try to regain right. that audience? So now let's say, instead of going so extreme, let's say Facebook's converting at 80 and Google's converting at 20. Mm -hmm. Now we might look at Google and find a segment within the Google audience that's actually converting at 80. 
And so right. we can keep that segment, get rid of the rest of the Google segment. And now every, we didn't throw out all of Google. Um, so the more information you have, you can see, oh, what company size, what title types, what, all this information. Um, then you can make sure you're really only getting rid of the, the stuff that's underperforming, not throwing out everything that's in its vicinity. Right, exactly. And this is what I think a lot of marketing agencies do anyways. They have six emails that they're going to run and they're saying, this email doesn't perform, so let's get rid of it, right? right. They have six different opt-ins and they say, this opt-in isn't performing, let's get rid of it. But maybe it is performing. Maybe right. it's just a not A segment performing. of it might be right. performing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And because we have the power now to target with our ads and our SEO and everything much more than we did 10 years ago, if something isn't performing but is performing with a small niche, we can funnel just that niche in. Interesting. So part of your 80% might be performing like your 20%. You just have to identify that exactly. part. Exactly. And exactly. So you might have a 70-30 if you have enough information in that underperforming 80% where you can kind of pull out the ones that are, are actually performing, but the rest of that chunk is, is pulling them down kind of. Yep, exactly, exactly. And so being able to attribute people in the long term is really the important thing. To right. be able to say this person came from Facebook and look at them three months later and say this is how they really performed. Because, yeah. So we're talking about multi-touch attribution here. It seems like when you look at a lead, if, if you're working with a company and the lead just, and it says where did they come from and it just says webinar, mm -hmm. now you say, oh no, but how did they get to the webinar? We right. need to know, were they, did they, were they sent an email saying, hey, check out this webinar? Did they come through Facebook? Did they, like, the more, the higher up the funnel you can get in the attribution, the more you can tell what to focus on. Exactly, exactly. And being able to understand, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by multi-touch attribution, but I kind of look at what was the thing that brought them in? What were the touch points that they did? And then what was the thing that caused them to purchase? And those are really the three things that I want to look at. I want to see, did they come from Facebook? What things on that funnel? Did they download a PDF? Did they attend the webinar? Did they not attend the webinar? Did they respond to an email? Like any of those things that I think will convert. And then what was the email that caused them to purchase? And how long did that take? Did it take them four weeks? Did it take them three days? Did it take them six months? And just be able to say, okay, this is how people in this cohort perform. These are the low performers. These are the high performers. So it seems like there's going to be a, some people listening have plenty enough data to look at things this way. Mm -hmm. And, but there's going to be a size of company with a volume of leads where this isn't, it's not really practical. Right. When, when do you have enough information to make this, these kind of decisions? If you're chasing down 10 leads, you know, one lead, it doesn't mean there's just not enough information to draw conclusions there. Right. You might be throwing out your best segment just because you got lucky with uh, a technique that isn't really going to work for you long-term. Mm -hmm. And I think, excuse me, I think that's one of the things that you need to look at. And one of the things that's really case by case as far as the companies, but it does talk about something that I think is really important where people try to optimize a part in the funnel that they're not ready for. So we've talked to a lot of clients and customers and stuff, and they're like, we need to improve our sales page. Okay. How many people do you have going to your sales page a week? One. Okay. Right. You don't need to optimize your sales page. How many people do you have going, opening your emails? They're like 10. I'm like, let's right. go a little bit farther. Like if you're not, and we finally find out, okay, they just don't have traffic to the page. Right. So the maybe they thing, do need to optimize that page, you, but you don't have enough traffic you to don't even have know to, right. if you optimize it, if you made it better or worse. Right. Because if you have, and I think the number is generally you want a hundred people to have seen a page before you can say, yes, this is optimized for any good right. test right? Um, to be able to say that something is statistically significant. So, so if you, you have a hundred people that are signing up for a webinar, now you can look to break it down, but maybe you need a hundred people that signed up from Google and a hundred from Facebook. If you're going to then look to segment those and, and right. identify with, within that group, um, you know, where are they coming from and who should you focus on within, within Google and within Facebook, Again, if you have five coming from Facebook and five from Google, you don't need to waste the time to go track down their details. Right, exactly. Um, it's, just, it's just not enough. Focus on getting more volume first. Exactly, exactly. I always say you want to focus on the highest part of the funnel that starts getting your results. 
So if you don't know if your opt-in is converting or not because you don't have enough traffic, don't focus on the opt-in, get more traffic. Right. Figure out some way to get more traffic in there. Then you can see, okay, are we converting at 10%, 20%, 2%? And once we've solved that problem, then we can go to the next problem, which is the emails. And then we can right. start looking at all the segments. So we, And that's, I think, why they describe it as a funnel or a journey because mm-hmm. it really is top-down. You have to do the top part before you can do the bottom part. Right. If you take it to the extreme and say, we talk to one person and we close them, so this technique works 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we talked to one and we didn't close them. So it, it, you know, it fails hundred percent of the time. You're like, no, 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 you, you need way more information before you can start drawing conclusions. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's not just the break. Isn't just at one. You're saying about a hundred, whatever it is, go down your funnel until you have a hundred of something and then start looking at that part. Looking at that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can look at it over time. Like it, you don't have to be getting a hundred every minute or every day, but until you have a hundred people have hitting a part, there's no way to tell really uh, if it's going to be effective or not. So if you're saying you have a form online, just because you only get one sign up a day doesn't mean you can't do this. You right. just it's need just going to take 100 days. Get 100 days worth of signups, then you can analyze them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And then for that tracking, it seems like tags would be extremely important. Tags and custom fields. Um, there's other ways to do it. Segmetrics does a lot of it behind the scenes, but people just starting out, um, or who want to try and do it themselves, I think custom tag or custom fields and custom tags are the best way to do it. Um, custom fields are nice because you don't have to create 800 different tags for each lead source, right? So when you're starting out, it's very simple. So I have Facebook lead or Google lead. I have opt-in one or opt-in two. And so it's very simple, but as soon as I get like, 20 different things where I want to say, okay, which Facebook campaign did they come from? Suddenly I want to start tracking this into, um, into a custom field or something. And people listening now are probably like, well, why don't we just use Facebook tracking or why don't we use Google analytics tracking? We can use UTM codes. The problem is, is that Facebook tracking has no idea what's going on in your marketing funnel. They know only what they, what you send in and only if that pixel is still attributed to the person who's using it, right? So right. they don't, uh, classic example is a subscription product. Facebook will tell you, okay, this person purchased because you said, okay, he purchased. But what about three, a month later, three months later, nine months later? How much is this person worth lifetime for the amount that you paid for him? So you, let's say you're paying $10 for a lead. You sell him a product that's worth $6 in the first month, but he's on for three years. Right. The value of that lead has increased exponentially over time, but um, Facebook has no way to know that. And you don't have any way to know that because you can't tie them back to that initial lead. Right. Or they may have a lot of people signing up, but their typical person only hangs around for a month or two. Right. In which case, if, if you're making assumptions based off all the rest of your clientele, which tend to hang around for 12 to 24 months, you're going to be way overvaluing. Yep, exactly. Clients from that source. And that, I mean, especially for us, we run a SaaS product. So the lifetime value is really valuable and we have an average lifetime value, but we need to know that based on our lead sources. Are people who come from integration pages better than people who come from Facebook? What's our, because we assume that people who stay on are worth, let's say $5,000 over their lifetime, right? But are people from Facebook canceling sooner or later? right? What's right, that right. churn rate? What's their average lifetime value? That's right. You mentioned something before. You said uh, a, a very general statement, but uh, that KPIs are worthless. Mm-hmm. This seems like you're, you're kind of talking to that where you're saying, uh, I think this was off the air before we, before we started recording, but to the KPIs are worthless thing. Well, they're, they're worthless at the end of the funnel kind of, if you're saying, you know, here's the ROI um, or here's the average, the lifetime value of this customer you're lumping all customers together. Right. Um, one channel, if you can take it all the way up to say, here's the lifetime value of a Facebook customer, here's the lifetime value of a customer that comes from Google, here's the lifetime value of a, then you can optimize. Optimizing right. at the end of the funnel is, is silly kind of. Right, any top level KPI, I think is good to have your eye on it. Like just as like a, okay, this is how we're doing at a top level of the business, but it Did you improve things overall? Exactly. Yeah. So one of my friends who does a lot of these launches, he has, he has a, a large list and he said his average list value, I think his lead value is worth like a buck a lead maybe. And then he ran a launch 
And he said, anyone who participated in the launch, who raised their hand, got the launch tag, is worth $126 wow. per lead. And not just customers, but actual leads that, that are there. And like that is a very different number from your top level. So if you're just looking at that top level number, that's not telling you anything. What, because there's going to be tons of people on there who are looky-loos, who are never going to buy, who are going to buy three years down the right. line. It tells the executives if you made good adjustments over right. time. But for the marketer who needs to make those adjustments, you have to go upstream and see what you can actually fix and optimize. Right. Because it's the outliers the KPIs are an average, right? All numbers that we look at are an average. So we have to drill down until we start seeing outliers because the outliers are the ones that we can focus on. Either we pour more money into the ones that are doing well or we scrap the ones that aren't. Right. Otherwise, you're basically saying, here's our ROI. So let's just dump more money into everything and we'll increase that ROI. But most marketers don't really have that you can't say, great, now let's double our marketing budget and we'll double our revenues. Right. You say, well, how about we just become more efficient with the budget we have? Or even if you double your marketing budget, also become more efficient with the budget you have. And then you can increase your, your ROI beyond just you know, trying to scale your budget in order to do it. Because right. you're going to run out of stuff as well. All of a sudden you find the ceiling. Like, oh, we can only get so many leads from Google. Oops. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should now focus on the the highest value ones. And that's when, once you kind of maximize that return on the channels you know are doing well, that's when you can start on other channels. And you can start saying, well, we weren't getting good pickup from men aged 50 to 75. Maybe we want a product for them. Maybe we we're not um, getting good pickup on copywriters. Maybe we want a product for them. So we can then see, we have maximized these channels that we know are going to make us money for good um, ROI. So let's now focus on some of these other channels and see if we can get them working as well. Right. So you can't assume in the ROI that the investment part is, is like the only metric to mess with that you can just, right. Oh, if you want to make more money, you just ratchet up the investment. When you get more efficient, you can actually get more money out of the same investment. Um, and this is, how to do it, I guess. That's the whole mm -hmm. point of the show today, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. There was I, a there was a good um, talk I was listening with uh, the founder of WP Engine, and he was saying that at one point they had gotten their Google ads so dialed in that they knew that they were going to make one they were going to make two dollars for every one dollar they spent on Google ads, but they couldn't scale it because their support was the limiting factor. Right. They had. So you they have had to be the, more efficient then. They have it. to be more efficient and understand where they're spending their money more than just tossing the money at it. And you will always run into a limiting factor other than budget at some point. Yeah. Like if you're really good at stuff and you just, so they keep pouring more budget into you, you will find out very quickly that there's another limiting factor. Your entire audience may be small. And so yeah. you're, you're in front of every single one of them. You know, now what are you going to do? Um, once you hit your total addressable market, uh, at some point you have to say, we can actually make more profit since that's what you want to make, not more money, but more profit by, you know, only servicing the top end of these people or only targeting right. the top end of these people, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that gets into the whole freemium discussion and all that stuff. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like, how do you find your best clients for the amount of money that you're willing to spend? And how do you get the best ROI to make the business more effective? And we see this a lot with companies like Intercom and stuff that started out at a very low level. Hey, we're here, we're bootstrapper, we're supporting the bootstrapping community. Now they're like $6,500 a year, like at their base plan. Like, Yeah. Eventually, once people get successful, the little people are of much less interest to them. Yeah. And it's, it, it's why small companies tend to like working with small companies because they'll actually answer the phone for them. Right. Whereas big companies just look at their metrics and they're like, no, nah, don't pick up that guy. He's, right. He's, he's only going to pay us $100 a month. It's not worth it, right? Yeah, not, and, enough, not enough profit there. Yeah. And, but that's good because then the next intercom comes up to serve that underserved market. Yep. Right. And that's, I, I guess that's kind of the circle of life for businesses, right? Yeah. And I think, uh, okay, I want to take a quick break, but then after the break, uh, dig in more to this concept because I think it applies across a lot of areas, across gating for content, um, for, for all companies, it's come up here recently with, you know, when and why do you gate? And mm -hmm. people say like, oh, never gate the content because, but then you get to a point where, you know, when you're talking about what's your limiting, what's starting to limit you, sometimes 
you have too many leads because too many, you know, if you have a bunch of tire kickers doesn't do you a lot of good, you want to actually be pushing people away at some point because they're, they're going to waste your salespeople time and piss them off and all these other things. Right. Um, so I want to get into that after the break and then, uh, we'll get, get to some hardcore questions here for you, put you on the spot for some kind of, uh, solid do's and don'ts for the listeners. We are uh, talking with Keith Perhack. He's the CEO of Segmetrics. We're talking about how to slice and dice your leads to for a greater profit, or I guess it's a greater uh, efficiency, profit through greater efficiency. I'll figure out how to say this by the end of the show, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're listening to the If You Market. You're listening to the If You Market podcast. We'll be right back. Is your data company ignoring and gouging you, or gouging and ignoring you? Those are the main reasons our customers move from the previous list provider, Mountaintop Data's Top Data Search platform. What's Top Data Search? Well, with Top Data Search, you can search our database of 20 million plus business contacts and download lists with complete contact information. It's a convenient tool for both sales and marketing departments to get accurate lists. It's free to have an account. There's no annual contracts, no seat fees. Top Data Search is just easy access to accurate data. And when you reach out to us with questions, we actually give you answers. Visit topdatasearch.com and sign up for a free account with the coupon code IYM300 and get 300 free credits. Or if you're just curious, go to topdatasearch.com and run some searches on our open search tool, no account needed, by clicking the search now button. That's at topdatasearch.com. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. We have Keith Perhack here with us, CEO of Segmetrics, talking about slicing and dicing your leads for greater profit. Um, Keith, before the break, I mentioned gating content and how it seems to kind of apply to this concept. Everything used to be gated, and then people said, hey, mm -hmm. let's take this gate away and let, let people access the content, and then they'll just kind of be here and turn into leads in other ways, and they'll come to us if they're interested. Um, I've seen that backfire. Uh, yeah, it seems related to what we're doing here with leads. It's it's difficult because I think it really depends on the niche, uh, who, what type of product you're offering, as well as who your audience within that niche are, right? And there's a lot of people who, let's be honest, are never going to buy your product. But does that mean that we want to keep them from getting value? Because they may recommend you to someone who is going to be valuable to you in the future, right? right. So where is that balance? Is it a free balance? Is it a paid balance? And it's, I think it's much easier to do for information products because with information products, you can give, a, it behooves you to give out a lot of great information for free, right? Mm -hmm. Because it gets your name out there. People will share it. The people who are never going to pay any money are the ones who are going to consume and share it the most. And information is free. Like if you're doing tire rotations and you give those away for free, that's actual labor that has to be done. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so you really have to decide for your audience, is a free product versus a paid product more valuable? And then within the paid product is a cheaper, are you trying to compete on price or are you trying to be a premium product? We so this is actually my second uh, SaaS company that I've done. The first one was called Summit Evergreen. It was an online courseware like Teachable or um, Udemy, that kind of thing. And we decided after about a year that we were going to add in a bootstrapper plan, which is for people with less than 200, um, 200 uh, students. And mm -hmm. it was only $10 a month. Probably because you saw a ton of those and you were like, let's cater we to them. We saw a ton of them coming in. They were like, hey, we can't afford $100 a month. Do you have something? She were like, let's just, let's make a bootstrap. Oh man, it was the worst. Absolute worst. Because they had, there were a lot of them. We had a lot of these $10 customers, but they had so many support questions and they just right. overwhelmed everything. Because at that dollar point, they're not making any money off of it. They have a lot of questions because they don't have any expertise in the field. They don't know how to create an online course because they've never created one. And there's just so many problems that go along with that. that so we your, were, your product's built and you can give them access and it doesn't really cost you anything more. It's, it's, so $10 yes. a month. But then they're using $30 a month of service, of customer exactly. service kind of, of your time and energy. Now you don't even have time to focus on the customers that are making you real money. Exactly. And, what, and that's the good and bad thing about SaaS, which is, in most cases, the technical side of running a SaaS is essentially free, 
right? Once you get to a certain number of customers, right? An individual customer costs you pennies, but the support side is still really high. And so we, we came to this and said like, and what can you do? You can't really say, oh, you don't get support because you're on the $10 tier. Like, how I've does seen that SaaS companies that just don't have any support at all. You can't get a live person on the phone. You can't get yeah, like any. Google. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> they've, they've got it down. They don't need. Yeah. But um, there's some small companies that it's just like, oh, they don't have any infrastructure. Their whole mm-hmm. thing is like, hey, if, if you can't figure out how to use it, then there's a help page and then we'll get right. to a ticket eventually. Maybe uh, that's about it. They're just yeah, hoping their product is intuitive enough that people don't get driven away. And I'm curious how well those do. Um, I actually don't know if I've ever used a product with no support that, yeah. I, that, I, that I pay for or that is available uh, consistently. Maybe Unless Canva. Unless it's I don't know. really simple and super intuitive and it just does one little dumb thing. Right. Seems- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, especially for things with that marketer or professionals, right? Anything that a professional is using has to have support, I feel right? Because they're going to have questions. They're going to have those snowflake, what about my specific use case questions, right? I have those all the time. I feel like an idiot afterward, but I needed the help. And they're just like, oh, it's right there. Stupid. Yeah. How come, I, how come I didn't see? There's the button. Oops. Yeah, but I've I wasn't, been, I couldn't continue without being pointed out some silly thing that I should have known. Yeah. I've been doing marketing for what, 16 years and I still log in. I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. Let me just get on the help. Uh, let me ask support or let me get on the help chat or whatever. And it's usually clarifications, right? There are those edge cases of like, okay, if I move someone out of this campaign on a Tuesday, what's going to happen? Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's no documentation about that. So you have to talk to someone, but, yeah. but that goes back to say that even the $10 people or the freemium people have that issue. So where do we go? Are we targeting those people? And are, especially with something like Segmetrics, where we're looking at value, lead value over time and lead value for acquisition costs and, ad, and return on ad spend, if someone's not making any money on their funnel, are we really providing value? Right. Why? I don't think that we should focus on, and I don't think that they're going to get value. I would rather give them a PDF that says, Hey, here's how you need to do it. Here's step-by-step. Here's what you need to do until you start making money. And then you should come talk to us because we can make it faster. If you can give somebody a ton of leads, but basically because you don't gate anything, um, you don't make them jump through any hoops at all. And that's kind of how to filter the stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, if you know, if there's no cover charge on your nightclub, you may be able to pack that nightclub, but you're packing it with people who aren't buying a single beer. They're just there to, uh, you know, try to find a date and get into fights. And then you're wondering why you went out of business. You're packed every night. And you're like, well, we didn't sell any drinks. That's why, because there was no cover charge. We attracted the wrong audience. We were so busy breaking up the fights with the wrong audience. We couldn't even cater the right audience. These guys wanted bottle service, and but we were dealing with fights all night. Right. Like you run into those kind of issues where, I don't know, early in my career, I thought, hey, we have to remove all the obstacles, remove all the gating, any hoops that are in front of people. And then you start to realize once you have success with that, it becomes the problem. And you're like, oh, that's why this exists. You do need to kind of set a barrier to entry. And I think it's because marketing has changed a lot. Because back in the day, there weren't as many people doing info products. There weren't as many people building a list. So the larger the list you had, the more effective attack surface you had to turn leads into customers. But now everyone has a list and people are used to putting that email in. And so it's kind of the Ikea um, theory, which is if you make people work for it, they have more value to it, right? They, they value it more because they put their own equity yeah. into it. Well, with um, brick and mortar, if people have to get in their car and drive to a store, that, that's a hoop they've jumped through. You know right. they're a much more serious customer because they only have so much time and energy to do that. But when it's a website and people can make a bot that fill out a form, if you don't have something to gate those, you're going to get 10,000 leads a day and 9,999 of them are going to be from bots. Yeah, and exactly. All your time. And even if they're not bots, they're just people who wanted the, the PDF or the video or whatever because they're digital hoarders like me. Uh, I will go and download anything and just because yeah. I want to have it. And I want to read it later and never get back to it. But you get lonely people, people who are confused sometimes. Again, like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> just asking for services you don't even provide, uh, asking for jobs, all kinds of random things. Yeah. And it used to, and I, I've seen in marketing that it used to be that people are like, oh, I have a 500,000 person list. I have a million person list, a 3 million person list. And now I see a lot of people not really comparing the size of the list, but how valuable the people are. I had a, I had a friend, the same friend who was doing the 126 uh, lead value launch. He had a list of 500,000 or sorry, 50,000 people who was making as much money off that list as one of my other clients who had 250,000. Right. Because, but he, because he had, probably could have had 250, but he, he condensed it down to the 50 that were actually making money. Right. Um, he, had, he had built, I don't know if he could get up to the 250. I'm sure he could, but that wasn't his focus. He wanted to focus on a specific niche of very dedicated, almost fanatic group of people. He wanted to build that brand within this to make sure that anyone on his list was just fanatic about him and the products that he was offering. Whereas the person with 250,000 was more of, I mean, he was on Yahoo Finance and like, he just wanted a bunch of people because that was right. the type of marketing back in the day was you just need a ton of people and then you figure out what to do with them. Yeah. Everything was a billboard kind of, you just yep. spray it all out there. I, when we started in this industry, I kind of feel like spam was created because we marketers didn't have enough information. Mm -hmm. Most marketers, if you give enough information to segment down, if you have the information available, like what you guys do, you say, Hey, we need to get the information so we can know which customers are valuable, which customers, to, which lead channels to focus on. If you have enough information, instead of saying, I got this disc of AOL uh, emails and I'm just going to send them all my message. Mm -hmm. If you can say, well, let me just send the ones that are in within the type of companies and the company size and the title types and the, you know, you get down to now with intent data. Let me just send the message to the three people who are thinking about this right now. Right. And suddenly you have removed spam because you're only dealing with relevant people. Right. Um, you know, it's, if you only deal with the people who actually walk into your store, then, you know, but if you're going to run around on the streets yelling your product at everybody at random, well, now, now you have an issue. It seems like the more information we have, and it goes back to being able to slice and dice, you've got to have information to slice and dice on. Right. You have to know where they came from. You have to know their company size. You have to know what department they work in. The more you know about them, the better you can segment down to the, the right people and not have to bother or bother with the wrong people. Right. And this is, I think, what separates really good marketers from the kind of so-so marketers, which is we all have access to this data now. We can all spend money to get this, this data. The difference I see is people who are able to decide what those levers are and what those touch points are and be able to say, this is the aspect that we want to look at and focus at. And the people who are able to use that data to make those decisions. So going back to the simpler one of a webinar, we all know how many, how long people stayed on the webinar, if they um, attended, if they didn't, if they gave us their phone number, blah, blah, blah. But the savvy marketer will say, well, people who left within the first two minutes, we should send them this retargeting ad. People who never showed up should get a different retargeting ad, right? So right. what is the lever that we're then focusing on to increase that conversion? And then you might even take it further at some point and say, hey, there's so many signups. We're not going to send all the people who left in the first two minutes. We're just going to send the people within this industry, within this company size who left in the first two right, minutes. Exactly. The other people were just there to see what a webinar is or they're students and they needed to write mm -hmm. a paper or something, whatever it is, they left because this, they're just not a good fit for whatever it is we were talking about. Yep. But these particular people, if we focus on them, gets back to the slicing and dicing and saying, not all of them, but now we have enough data to, to take this segment, focus on them, and we can still turn this unsuccessful segment into a successful segment. Yeah, we were actually working with an agency that did um, sales calls to get their new clients on. So they had a web form that people would sign up for, request a time, get on a call. And people who were on the call that they decided were not a good fit, they would put them into an automated sequence afterwards. And they would have that auto-populate the person, the name of the person who was on the call with them and everything, but it would warm them into a lower tiered product. Mm. 
that was more affordable or that they didn't have to really deal with them on an individual basis. Like they they yeah. put them into a learning course. That's funny. There is an art to knowing what things you need to say to get the attention you want sometimes mm -hmm. when you're on a demo or whatever it is. If you want them to spend the time to show you certain stuff, there's things you can say that will get you through the demo really quickly um, and not get a follow-up call. <laughs> and then there's things you can say that, uh, you know, have them sending you custom packages. And uh, if you know the right things they're looking for and how to present yourself, you can get the attention. And if yep. you, if you don't look right, you can get ignored and put into that lower tier uh, filter that doesn't get a Christmas present really fast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can, uh, it's uh, optimizing for swag, I think you could call it. You can get really good at optimizing for uh, suddenly receiving uh, nice things in the mail if, if you know what people are looking for. That's excellent. Um, <laughs> which then becomes dangerous. I don't think there's a lot of people actually doing that, but uh, you know, I, I have noticed like, oh, these guys aren't interested in me now. Mm -hmm. Oops, I'm not, I really want more out of them, but they're right, I'm not their target audience. There's just something I want to get from them. Right, and, right. Uh, I'm not going to be worth their value. I still want to get what they have. Uh, all right, very, we're, we're winding down here. Let's uh, hit a couple more things. One of them, we're talking about data and mm -hmm. having all this data now. You mentioned that the ability to know which data points. In the past, you knew nothing. So it was just, mm -hmm. okay, send to everybody. And now you know so much about everybody that it's, okay, now which data points do we look at? Do we care about right. in order to segment? Because you could try to make some insane AI combination of data points to see, or you could just actually know which ones matter. Like, okay, it's this, and it's probably based a lot on the, the perceived or known target that the company mm -hmm. has. So when you, I don't know, when you sell something to construction companies and you have your webinar and you get uh, 50 people who drop out in the first um, two minutes and half of those people are at construction companies and half aren't, you can look at that segment and say, okay, the half that aren't at construction companies, we know we can say, let's focus on the construction company half. Right, right. But there may be other more subtle data points in there, company size, title type, and all kinds of things that you could focus on or not. You can't focus on every data point you have now because you have so mm -hmm. many typically. Um, so it seems like part of what you guys do there is knowing, you know, now that we have all the data, knowing which data to pay attention to. Right. And I think that, you know, I think marketers are always looking for the silver bullet. They're looking for the AI system that's going to leverage the top custom fields or the insight items that they're going to need to be able to just click a button and instantly know what they're going to do. And there's no silver bullet. And I would say there is. It's just really expensive. It's a, yeah. And, and it's hard. <laughs> because they want their value. So if a regular bullet costs uh, $1, a silver <laughs> bullet may be worth uh, twice as much, but it's also going to cost three times as much because the person selling it knows it's worth more. Right. And, but, um, but you get into this problem, and I've seen this because we work with enterprise as well, that it, even if you have that huge data trove and you have the AI system that's parsing it, the marketers are still limited by human, uh, by human limits, right? right. Um, and we just don't do well looking at that much data and looking at trying to find very, after about four steps of, um, of um, distribution, we're not able to make those connections anymore. So when we're saying, okay, people in the construction industry who are the president named Bob with a blue shirt on Tuesdays, it's like suddenly we've, we've gone off the deep end into what we're looking for. And so I really recommend the kind of the touch point method, which is find the things, and this is where I think the art of marketing comes in more than the science, which is start with the things that you feel are important to the funnel, whether that's because they're part of the niche, they're part of the marketing. And then you look at the list of attributes for the people doing that and saying, are there outliers? Are there people that are doing well? Are there people who are doing bad? Are there just a bunch of other crap? Like everyone has, is a one-off. And being able to start looking at that lets you know, okay, here's what I need to do with my marketing. Even with the huge AI system, okay, so let's say we know that people named Bob with blue shirts on Tuesday in the construction industry are much more valuable. What do we do with that? Right. right? Like how do we leverage that effectively? Um, 
And then he did look back and say, why? I mean, if exactly. you're going literally with what you said, why Bob? What's the point in that? And, you know, right. like, why, why what did are that we stick doing out? with that? Is exactly. there something wrong in our data set that's because of that? Is Bob and, the default we use when we don't know the first name? <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the issue that I think we run into a lot when we're looking at just all the data. And we, ha and we can get into like problems of algorithms and stuff on, on another time. But you don't know causation versus um, correlation, right. right? Because you don't know if, okay, people named Bob are worth a lot. Or you don't know if there's a setting in your marketing that's targeting people named Bob. Or it turns out you sorted your list alphabetically by first name. Right, exactly. And by the time you got through the Bs, um, and Bob was the most common name within the Bs, well, the technique you were using, maybe you were sending out emails, and your emails started getting flagged and going to the junk yep. folder. So everything after Bob went to the junk folder. Since there's so many more Bobs, you feel like you got all these leads from Bob, and so you're going to suddenly – you're focus on Bob? Like it's and, a great example because if it yeah. doesn't make sense, you have to look for the why. If it's, oh, look, the construction is a good target for us. And you're like, oh, of course that makes sense. Now let's segment right. on that. But if it's Bob, something's wrong or any Bob could, you know, is used as a uh, analogy for anything that doesn't really make sense as why does that segment stick out? Right. And once you identify a mistake in it, because the AI or the algorithm tells you, oh, it's Bob, and then you send that to Facebook, Facebook's going to say, oh, we're looking for Bobs. And so it's going to send you more Bobs. And so suddenly your entire niche, your entire um, funnel has become Bob-based because of this one AI algorithm yeah. outlier. And that's why well, you find it, out that somebody art. in a spreadsheet accidentally copy and pasted Bob as the first name for every contact. Right. And you're like, wow, not only is Bob not the best name for us, we have a data problem here because we're calling everybody Bob and a lot of them aren't. <laughs> and that, yeah. And that's why I think it's important to look at it and make the decisions, not because an AI told you to, or because the silver bullet told you to, but because you understand why that's happening and you understand the segment that you're looking at. And I think that the, the great marketing improvements that we, I know we've done over the years and that I think a lot of people do is everything starts from the, huh, why is that? Yeah. Every single one is like, oh, this cohort has a 20 time, 20 X conversion rate. Why is that? Let's mm -hmm. look at, let's look a little bit deeper into that. Right. And either that makes sense. Why is that? Or that doesn't make sense. Why is that? Why is that? And let me increase what we're doing in this space or something's wrong here. Why is that? Right. Is, is that even a blip or an outlier within the, the funnel? Yeah. Either way, it helps you optimize. So one of the most important things I feel like you've said here is the hundred, um, the hundred kind of piece rule you had there mm -hmm. of going into your funnel to the point at which you have a hundred of something in order to analyze it because of the outlier issue. If you have right. one, you don't know if that one is an outlier or not. Um, and it, most likely it's not going to be the average, the first one that you hit. Right. Um, so finding that the information to focus on, making sure you have enough of it. Mm -hmm. And then I guess knowing what information you really need to be looking at, you know, what tag you need to be paying attention to creating, um, and, and then looking for that, maybe filling it in if you don't have it, that your data doesn't have company size right. and that you've recognized is an important piece of information. You need to fill that in on your leads. Um, as they come through. Uh, so I'm kind of recapping here because we're getting to the end. Also, you talked about the service. Like, where is your, um, the bottleneck? Right. Uh, or it, it can be on the server. You, you, you may not think about it, but marketing is going to generate a ton of leads and think they're killing it. And really, you're just overwhelming your service with garbage. Yep. Yep. Um, we, we had we had an example of that. We had great lead, um, lead cost per lead. Uh, we were just generating all these leads. They were great. They were engaged. They were opening emails, zero conversions. Mm -hmm. And we looked at it because they were all from Eastern Europe. And uh, we had just, yeah. we had a uh, Facebook ad was misconfigured. We had all this traffic coming in that was not even English based, but they were opening the emails. I assume they were bots to be honest, but it's, yeah. We, we got a, a lot of money on that. massive amount of Russian bot traffic to our website at one point. And when mm -hmm. you went and looked at it, you're like, oh, look. This huge, we thought we were doing great, but we somehow triggered a, a Russian bot at some point, And now that's just been an increasing percentage of our traffic ever yep. since. Yep. Uh, so yeah, identifying that, or maybe you got an email list from an old folks home. So of course they were very receptive. They're bored, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but they're not buying anything. Um, 
All right. Fantastic. Uh, any last things you want to hit on here? We're, we're running out of time. Um, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll throw some places out there that people can find you, but, uh, I guess, can you recap for the listeners, this, uh, this concept of slicing your leads down? I think the, the two most important things to look at is one to look as high on your funnel as possible. So what's the first barrier that's starting to prevent people from converting. Don't look at your sales page if you don't have traffic. Don't look at your opt-ins or don't look at your emails if you're not getting opt-ins. So that's the number one. The number two is that when you're looking at a KPI, a KPI measures your overall business, but it doesn't tell you what to do next. And the most important thing you can do is find the outliers within that KPI. If you're looking at conversion rate, find the places where the conversion rate is high and the conversion rate is low, and then make a decision on what you want to do there, whether you want to pump up the high and get rid of the low, or you want to try to get that low conversion rate back. Right. And maybe if they're a large percentage, find a new way to approach the low or something. Exactly. Exactly. Because a low conversion does not mean that they are worthless leads. It means that your offer is not resonating with them. And so changing the offer or changing the um, how you're talking about it can, high, uh, can improve that conversion. Excellent. So in the low conversion segments, you can find a sub-segment that's actually converting high and right. keep them. And then the, the rest of it, you can say, do we want to adjust the way we're approaching these people? Or when you look at what they are, do you want to say, oh yeah, of course these aren't converting. They're not our target or, or, or whatnot. Let's right. filter them out. Yeah. And here's a great example. Uh, so one of my friends, he runs a negotiation info product and his lead gen was a, well, I'm trying to remember. It was a one page how to negotiate that then follows into a seven day email sequence, which then goes to the purchase at the end. And he was, he was getting a huge number of people opting in, but no one was buying at the end. And if you ever negotiated, this is the reason why <laughs> is because people signing up for this needed that information. Now they did not want to wait seven days because they had a job offer that they need to negotiate. Right. And so when you made them wait for seven days, you lost that. But if you just looked at the numbers and said, this, this conversion rate is horrible, we just need to trash that, you didn't understand what was going on. So what right, he did right. was he segmented. He was like, when do you have your interview? And everyone was like, today. And he's like, oh, so yeah. let's change this a little bit. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great example. It's like going, going to the grocery store and you see the candy bars before you check out. And mm -hmm. Instead of having them there to buy, it's like, oh, you want to reach for a candy bar? Well, let's add you to this drip sequence. And <laughs> exactly. maybe within a week, we'll hit you with a buying. Like, no, this is not a long-term, this is, this is an impulse buy. So you kind of have to know what, whether your product is impulse or not. And he learned, oh, this is an impulse buy. I need to adjust. Right. It's, a, it's an immediate need. It's an immediate need that they have to solve. Awesome. All right. Well, if uh, people want to find out more about, uh, about Keith Perhack and uh, Segmetrics, uh, check out the show notes on ifyoumarket.com. Their website is segmetrics.io. Also, the, uh, we'll put the, the podcast up there, Data Beats Opinion. I mm -hmm. love that. Your Twitter handle, you mind if I throw that out? Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to throw that out. That's, uh, <laughs> That's a, it's a really hard one. <laughs> just, so just search for Keith Perhack. There is literally yeah. one of me on the internet. So, uh, but it is uh, Hadi Senbon is how you say it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So just exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you want to have fun, see if you can get that right. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you guys have a tagging guide on your site. Uh, yes. Segmetrics.io slash bonus slash ultimate dash tagging dash blueprint the link will be on the show notes that'll probably be uh, easier than copying that down honestly like uh, Twitter handle. yeah we get a lot of good um feedback on that tagging guide we've been working on that for just updating it over the years uh just to make it as good as humanly possible for people who even if they don't want to use segmetrics want to be able to track all these leads and understand how to watch people as they go through their marketing funnels and then ultimately if everything we've said here or let's say if everything Keith has said here makes sense, if everything I've said makes sense, you need to have yourself checked out. Um, but <laughs> if everything Keith has said makes sense, but this sounds like a lot to try to implement or dig into or get um, to know, well, that's what his company does, Segmetrics. So uh, maybe just reach out to them, segmetrics.io. And uh, I'm sure Keith will be able to, to, to help you with this stuff. Yeah, or ping me on Twitter or email. I love talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, marketing is just, it's my passion. So awesome. Well, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. You can find more 
uh, on the show notes uh, on uh, Keith Perhack on ifyoumarket.com. Please share us on social media, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. And on behalf of the If You Market team and Keith Perhack of Segmetrics, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.